0: Sports Radio, 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning. What a beautiful day in Colorado, I'll tell you what. It was a little foggy driving in, uh, although I was riding, drinking coffee. Karen was driving, so... I I wasn't tense at all, and she seemed to handle it just fine, didn't she? She's giving me looks like it wasn't so great. But the fog lifted, and we're looking at a beautiful day in Colorado. You know, we get to this time of the year, and I'm going to talk about this more later in the show, but there's so much to choose from. We start with these bright, brisk mornings, and we've got all kinds of hunting going on, fishing going on. It's a beautiful time to hike. There's still some colors in a few places. The elk are bugling. It's just a beautiful time to be outdoors in Colorado's uh, Last last week, we talked a lot of hunting. We covered upland game hunting. We covered big game. We just covered a, um, a myriad of different hunting opportunities, including some projections on the upcoming elk seasons that are starting and what the status of the herd and the mule deer are. So today, we're going to switch it up, and we're going to talk talk more and more fishing today. And we, besides just talking fishing, we're going to have a, an Ask the Expert question and we're going to have a Tackle Talk segment. So we've got a fully loaded show with a lot of great contributors. And let me, th- about the Ask the Expert. The Ask the Expert is where you send your outdoor question to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors at Gmail. And if we answer your question on your, whether it's hunting, fishing, camping, anything outdoors, you get a $25 gift card for sending it in. So just send us your outdoor questions. It helps us with programming it helps us understanding what you need so that's a great one and don't forget to follow us on facebook at terry wickstrom outdoors that's a huge way to keep in touch with us hey we're going to um also before we go to our next guest i want to mention that next week the director of colorado parks and wildlife is going to be in studio for a full hour. He's going to be dis- discussing the upcoming funding. He's going to be discussing some of the uh, the different things, the challenges they're facing, and some of the good things that are going on. But right now, let's go to the phones. Joining us from Kirk's Fly Shop up in Estes Park, we have uh, Darren Christensen. Good morning, Darren.
1: Good morning, Terry. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing. Is it as beautiful and sunny up there as it is down here?
1: It is. It's gorgeous up here. It's actually pretty warm this morning already. It's in the 50s. So,
0: Well, you know, that's one of the things about this time of the year. The morning starts out brisk and crisp, but by midday, it's so comfortable to be outside. And right now, you probably still got the elk bugling in the park, I imagine, right?
1: You bet. It's so we still got the elk chasing each other around and and uh, still have some leaves on the trees, although the wind's blown some of them off already.
0: Well, and that park is so beautiful this time of the year. And nothing I don't think in the outdoors makes the hair stand up in the back of my neck like a big bull elk just bugling out there over his harem. I mean, it's it's majestic. It in is. And fall, fall fishing up there, you know, people, the mistake a lot of people th- after Labor Day, they put away their fishing rods, and I'm going to talk a lot about that on this show today because there is such good fishing going on. There's, this is not the time to be putting your rods away. Now, we do have to let people know that it's a little more difficult to get to Estes. How, what, what is available to get up there?
1: So uh, you can get up here you know, via Highway 7, but mainly through Highway 36 through Lyons is the main route. 34 is closed for construction, so there's no through traffic um but that doesn't mean you can't fish the canyon so if you're if you come up to Estes you can fish down probably about 8 miles down the canyon is available to us
0: and how how is that fishing going right now
1: it's great right now all summer they were doing a a project on one of the tunnels so there was extra water going down the canyon meaning the flows were in the 300s for most of the summer they're down to like this morning it was 102 which is perfect for the big thompson so the fishing has been great the last three weeks and of course there's a few less people because of 34 being closed so it's actually been great
0: well and not only 34 being closed but a lot of those people picked up their rifle or their shotgun exactly and they're out there and that's something i'm going to cover later on in the show where i used to do mostly hunting in the fall and i do mostly fishing now because it's some of the best fishing of the year and and you it's not crowded
1: no you I mean you got the brown trout are just starting to go into their spawn mode, so throwing streamers for browns is i mean this is the prime season for that now
0: you, know. you get i know we've talked before, and the brown trout will move out of Lake Estes up into town i've actually sat there having a pizza and a, an adult beverage and watched guys fly fishing right in front of me. Uh, I imagine there's a pretty good of browns right now right in town
1: exactly the, they they've started coming up the last week and a half or so and we're seeing more and more of them like you said up through town you know up through the golf course um, the golf course is closed to golfing right now because the elk are going through their rut so it's a great time to go fish the golf course
0: <laughs> yeah there you go so yeah what about uh below below estes i mean obviously that's a tail water you said the flows are controlled they're much more fishable those higher flows they'll probably kept those fish in good shape cool water and now we've got naturally cool water and i would think that both rainbows and browns are pretty active below the dam
1: they are it's it's fishing excellent and the best it has been all season is like the last like i said couple of weeks um i was out yesterday it fished great down the canyon um You know, and then we also have the park has been fishing well, you know, you got to let it kind of warm up in the morning up there. It's not great until the sun gets on the water for a minute, but that midday fishing up in the park is still really good.
0: You know, that's one of the things about spring and fall trout fishing is the trout bite the best in the cold weather when you're comfortable too? <laughs> and they, they really do. It takes them a while to get going, and you don't have to be out there like some mornings when the water's going to get too warm during the day. And midsummer, it's pr- or even by shore of a lake, the sh- the trout are active in the middle of the day because the water's cooler. Are you seeing more rainbows or browns below the dam?
1: Um, it's about fifty-fifty still. You know, there's I don't know what the exact census is, but I know when I go out, it seems to be. It seems to be about half and half what we end up catching so
0: when you guys are guiding on that every day, so if somebody's coming up to Estes, they've got to come through town anyway, they might as well just pull into the shop and get the most current information, and you can probably show them what flies are working.
1: You bet um you know right now you've got lots of midges coming off, but you've still got you know caddis and small stone flies, so yeah, stop by the sh- shop here and we can get you
0: set up. Now, I want to talk a little more about the park, too, because that's one of my favorite places. By the way, if folks, go to um, my YouTube channel. There's a number of uh, fly fishing episodes, both by myself and with Kirk, where we've fished the park. We've gone up with llamas. Karen and I have just fished it with both fly and spinning rods down in the lower reaches, and then we've gone horseback. You can get an idea of the kind of fishing, but... People think of the park as just little bitty cuts and brook trout, which can be fun. You'll take a three-weight fly rod, or Kirk one time when we were fishing had a zero weight, I think. And you can – I sat there once over by uh, Sprague Lake where the creek comes in, and I caught one little brook trout after another as people were walking by and talking to me. But you can get off the trail if you want to hike a little bit, and there can be some substantial fish in the park too.
1: Oh, there certainly is. I mean, I've had – Several browns in Moraine Park area, upper Big Thompson, you know, up towards Fern Lake Trailhead, you know, in the high teens. And I've, you know, I've definitely seen people catch fish over 20 inches, browns.
0: Oh, yeah. It's, and I've there's
1: seen some s- good fish up there.
0: And some of the alpine lakes, which could be a little tougher to get to right now, the cutthroats, too, are just fantastic. Oh,
1: yeah. Fantastic. Yet yeah, like, yeah, some of those upper lakes, you know, there's definitely cutthroat that are, like, again, in the high teens. I have not myself caught a 20-incher yet, but I've definitely seen pictures of a couple 20-inchers out of some of these lakes.
0: When you think about the pristine environment you're fishing up in the park, the beauty, the animals, the elk, all the other wildlife, I mean, even if you are catching just small brook trout and cutthroats, it's kind of, to me, what the essence of fly fishing is all about, being in those smaller rivers and just being delicate little presentations. Let's switch gears though. Before we run out of time, I also want to talk to you about the Colorado. Now I know you guys have been doing drift uh, float trips on the Colorado all summer. A little tougher now since you can't get over Trail Ridge; you'd have to drive around. But what's going on there? Are you still doing trips? And what's can you report on what's happening?
1: Oh yeah, we're still doing trips. Um, It's fishing really well. Uh, You know, I mean, this type of year over on the Colorado, like we were talking about over here, you know, chucking streamers for browns. On the Colorado, I mean, it's this is prime time for it. Um, we had a client on Wednesday catch 26-inch brown that I don't know how many pounds it was, but it was 14-inch girth. I mean, it was a big, big fatty.
0: Well, and, and here's a great opportunity to show you the the diversity of fly fishing because you could be up in the park throwing little tiny flies or you can throw some pretty big bugs up there too oh yeah but but you can also be down the colorado and even on just the colorado itself because you got rainbows chasing the eggs and things when i fish those browns drifting there it's almost like bass fishing i'm casting the biggest ugliest streamer full of legs against the shore and just ripping it back getting a reaction strike from those browns but the rainbows will sometimes hit that but usually we've got to switch up and maybe do a some kind of a dropper rig or something to get the rainbows
2: yeah
1: yeah and kirk's a big proponent of of you know the nymphing and and you know using an indicator fishing but and that does definitely get you to fish but if you you know want to chuck meat as they say you know, this is definitely the season for it.
0: Oh, there's no question. I know one of the things about you brought up, Kirk, he is one of the few guys I know that almost refuses to put an extra weight on his dropper rigs. He tries to use tungsten flies and let the weight of the fly. He just feels that weight makes it more difficult to control and less natural.
1: Yeah. Well, and it also it takes a little bit away from the um, take, meaning it's a little bit harder to see with a little too much weight on there. So. Sure. It, it definitely helps
0: it does so so sounds like the fishing is great the weather is great there's anybody looking for a place to go tomorrow you know the broncos play at night if somebody wants to book a guide trip with you guys i know your your availability changes with the season because you probably don't have as many guides available but normally i found that you guys are available on pretty short notice oh yeah we can you call us up today we can get you out tomorrow and that's great. So why don't you tell people the phone numbers yep, and, our phone and tell numbers. them the websites and all those yeah. contact
1: information. So just give us a call at 970-577-0790. And that's, again, Kirk's Fly Shop. And our website is com.
0: One last point I want to make, too. If somebody's interested to get started fly fishing and they just want to come up and enjoy Estes and maybe take a half-day trip, they don't even have to own gear, do they?
1: No, we provide everything. So you book a trip with us, you just show up. We got waders, boots, rods, reels, everything you're going to need to go out and catch some fish.
0: And the other thing, too, is like I said earlier, if you're coming up, you know, stop by and just talk to you guys. It's not like you hide the information. You'll, you'll, sh- point out the flies to use even if you're not guiding them you guys will point them in the right direction oh yeah tell, tell them where you're located in town there
1: we're at 230 east elkhorn which is right near the main drag right through town and right across
0: the street from the library. And right next door to the Dairy Queen. That's right. And you got parking right there. You got it. All right. Darren, thanks so much for joining us. Great information. I you hope bet. people haven't put their rods away, or if they have, come up and use some of yours. But with this beautiful weather we're going to have, especially over the next few days, this need it, it's one of the best times to fish.
1: You bet. Thanks All for right. calling, Terry. You bet.
0: Thank you for joining us today. You bet. All right. That's Darren Christensen from... Kirk's flash up. What a bunch of great people. Have you seen Kirk on my show many, many times, on my television show, and he's been on this radio show many times? And I'll tell you, it's uh, they're, he's, they're just quality people. They'll take care of you. And you know that the big Thompson River hasn't been getting the pressure because of the problems getting up and down the canyon. So, like, right now, if I come from my house in Fort Collins, I'd have to go through Lyons and up which would add time to the drive where I used to be able to go right up 34. And fishermen, because they can't come up the canyon to fish, they have to go to Estes and work their way down. And because of that, and then so many of them hunting, this is just an incredible time to fish that big Thompson River below and above of Estes Lake. And you can have some opportunities for some really great fishing. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse. America's premier outfitter. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Fish Company, Smoked Salmon. If you've never tasted this, it is fantastic. We say the secret is in the fire because they actually add the honey to the fire. to seal in the omega-3 fatty acids. But the secret to this stuff is it just tastes so good. Even if you've never liked smoked salmon before, give it a try. Let's go right to the phones Joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Renzo del Piccolo. Good morning, Renzo.: Good morning, Jerry. You know what? Um, with all the talk that's gone on in the public and in the outdoor community about losing public lands, about public lands being shifted around, and all these and there's been a lot of negatives out there. You right. really have a win-win story to tell us about, don't you?
3: Absolutely. Pretty, pretty exciting situation.
0: So fill us in. What's happening? You had a, you had an area in town. It was kind of getting urbanized, but it was still a nice green area with good access and things. But you wanted something more of a wildlife area. So tell us what took place.
3: Right. It was, it was a small. It's a small state wildlife area right on the edge of, of town. In fact, it was out of town for a long time. And, and lo and behold, you know, uh, we we've, we've got our biggest shopping mall right there next to it now. And uh, you know, an R V park and we should so tell them what so town
0: forth. I suppose to. <laughs> this is Montrose. Yeah.
3: I, yeah. In Montrose. So and uh, you know, so we we started looking at that and saying, man, it didn't quite fit anymore with um, state uh wildlife areas and and so we approached the city and said uh, you know, asked them if they thought that could be part of their park system. And uh they were uh, very uh, you know, under the under the leadership of their city manager, they could see the um, the benefits in them taking that over and being part of their their master plan because they have a, a pretty big vision of of the river. The Uncompahgre River runs right through Montrose, and um, they're picking up a, a number of different parcels. In fact, there's some excellent fishing going right through uh, City of Montrose right now. It's, it's it's pretty exciting. That's that's another benefit to all this. But they wanted a a put in and a, a take out for, for boats and, and just a nice place. And they agreed to leave it in, you know, into a public fishery in perpetuity.
0: And so, so now go ahead. Yeah. So, um, um, so
3: we, you know, they said, what do you want for, for that? And so we started looking at some of the assets they have and a lot of cities and towns have properties that, that aren't exactly in city limits, you know, um, especially like water, reservoirs you know for for drinking water municipal water reservoirs. so we found one of the ones for montrose uh it's really an emergency water source but it was an un- unopened reservoir uh, on Cerro summit which is between montrose and gunnison um, beautiful beautiful setting really right off the highway of highway 50 and uh, we thought that might work and so we started to look at that and and they were agreeable uh to to, to that opportunity being opened up to the public.
0: Oh that's that's really fantastic. So so what we've done is we've gone from having a wildlife life area that was open land with the Uncompotere River running through it with fishing and right. boating activity in town that was seeming like a still a great resource. People could get right. to it and use it, but it wasn't wild. But instead of losing any access, that's going to stay, it's been guaranteed it's going to be public and now you went to another area that didn't have public access, and we've just added more water and more land to the public availability. And, you know, Renzo, the, the two things that I hear about when as I travel the United States and we do surveys and things about why people don't get in the outdoors is one is access they can easily get to. Well, sure. now you have this access to the same place right in town, and you've got other access. The others know how. But, you know, you bet that city's going to put on probably little interpretive programs and things in that park that's going to help people and they'll promote the park. So it's just a super win-win. Tell us about the new wildlife area. What kind of activities will take place there? What are some of the restrictions?
3: Well, it it is a a unique opportunity. We we wanted something a little different, Terry, you know, not just a normal put-and-take, you know, uh, catchable rainbow-type water. We we were hoping that we could do something different. Went in there, put the nets in, and uh, lo and behold, we found it uh, chocked full of white suckers and uh, fathead minnows, which is an amazing prey species, but not much of a fishery. But our uh, our aquatic biologist, Eric Garduño, saw <laughs> kind of a unique opportunity. I could see him kind of salivating at, at the possibility. So we wanted to put some teeth in there and uh get a, a, a trout in there that because it's pretty high up water so it had to be a trout and something that's going to eat and take advantage of all those uh prey fish and that's exactly what we did so we so we targeted in on uh trout uh excuse me tiger trout which is kind of a unique uh, uh um trout you don't hear a whole lot about it's a combination uh, hybrid mix that we do we create in a hatchery really uh, from uh, brown trout and brook trout.
0: Well, and what that does, too, now it gives another species to chase. Right. You know, we've got golden trout. We've got um, the grayling in some lakes in mm-hmm. Colorado. And we've got some of these different. But now here's a totally different species that people can go after. But because it's a sterile hybrid, you don't have to worry about escaping into other fisheries and causing damage. And you can control the population.
3: Exactly. Yeah. And because it's a, a, a water source, we wanted to make sure you know we could satisfy their desire—the the, the owners of the reservoir and uh, and the water—in uh, in keeping that clean. Uh, that's one of their main. Uh, concerns always. I've uh, I've been involved in a few others of these, and we have to kind of make that promise. And and so it is a catch and release water, flying lure water. So um, you you have to hike in a little ways to it. There's no dogs, uh, and it and we're really trying to manage it as um, hunting and fishing property. That's that's really our goal, and and actually it's the goal of our state wildlife areas, and and we're losing that to a certain extent and, and we're trying to you know jump in right from the get-go and say that this, this is what this is all about this is for hunters and fishermen and wildlife we're trying to make the best you know wildlife habitat up there that we possibly can
0: now the other side of this too is that because you're trying to keep the water i mean, it is a little bit of a hike in there's some limited access as far as getting on the water too is that right
3: that's right uh we've we've um gone with uh, float tubes only, which is defined in our regulations as, you know, just a, a boat that just sit halfway in with waders. and uh, And so that minimizes water contact. So that really satisfied their concerns. Uh, when they heard all of those uh, possible stipulations and and they said okay we're in and uh, and so they've they've allowed us to to take over the management of that they still own it and that's great but we have a, a permanent easement there to to have a, a nice little state wildlife area there's 162 acres I think so there's a little bit of hunting opportunity as well
0: and uh,
3: and hopefully a an, uh, great
0: fishery what kind of hunting opportunities will we see there. Well, you know, for
3: sure there's uh, mule deer. Um, saw quite a few the other night as I was coming out uh, right at dusk. It was kind of kind of neat to see that. And then uh, elk as well. Um, see a lot of sign of elk being in there. And maybe a, a dusky grouse and, and rabbits, coyotes, and uh, maybe even some waterfowl hunting as well.
0: Now, I have to let you go running out of time. But, Renzo, there okay. was one project you and I talked about, oh, it must have been, I don't know it was a year or more ago about Maramont Reservoir? What's the status there?
3: Yeah, you're it 4 years ago actually. Wow. <laughs> but uh Merrimont had to be uh, a darist, darest. Uh, it had to be killed off because uh it had been illegally stocked with smallmouth bass and it was killing the trout fishery completely. Uh smallmouth bass were eating all the all the little trout. Uh so we darest it. We put rotenone in there and uh and, and that was very successful, and we've gotten it back, and it's it's fishing really, really well. It's uh, we have three different species of trout in there, and the the public's very excited about it. So, cost us a lot of money, a lot of time, but it, it, we were able to to bring it back to a good trout fishery.
0: And that's one of the comments I want to make too: that you guys manage these waters. And whether it's a new one like you're having the tiger trout or Marimont, you manage them to give the best public access within the regulations that people can have for the most successful fishing, again, within regulations that can be in certain parts of the country or state. And when people interfere, it, it the, whole, the whole outdoor public suffers. Boy, sure, they sure do. All right. Hey, a lot of great news, but let's, what a positive <laughs> story. Um, Good. Uh, people just caught the end of it. Listen to the podcast. Can they find information online? What's the name of the wildlife area?
3: It's the Cerro Summit State Wildlife Area All right, between Montrose and Gunnison.
0: That sounds fantastic, Renzo. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you, Terry. Appreciate it. You bet. Very good. Let's go right back to the phones. And he's probably getting his camper packed up to head over to Montrose right now
2: so he can... <laughs> good. So,
0: yeah. You know, I mean, you know, Ray, we talk about... And this is Ray from Adventure Camper. But, Ray, we talk about these places before you come on, and I'm thinking... Boy, you know, if there's so much great weather left, it's beautiful. It's probably a little warmer over there because Montrose is a little south uh, in and right. the elevation. And and you've got um, you've got Ridgeway Reservoir not far from where they're at. You've got the city of Montrose, which has parks and things in it, and up and down there's campgrounds. And he just talked about the great fishing right through the town of Montrose, and now this this new state wildlife area. And you look at the weather outside and what it's going to be like next week. The only question is, Ray, do you have campers available?
4: Well, we do have a couple left. Um, so we've still got uh, campers available for any of the second season guys going out next weekend. Uh Tuesday's the last day to reserve those. We've still got lots of customers going out and enjoying just good fall camping weather. Uh, and it's, if you're looking to buy a camper, it's a great time of year to buy a camper. We've got $1,000 discounts um, above and beyond our already discounted prices on any Viking or real Light, and $2,500 on some of the larger Sonomas and Solar campers. So great time to get a good deal on a camper if you're still looking one.
0: Now, I have to ask you, and you, and I hope I don't put you on the spot. You and I haven't talked about this, but you rent and you sell. Yep. So at this time of the year, are you maybe releasing a few fleet models? Or are your best mm-hmm. deals on this year's models or next year's or a combination of all three? Combination of
4: both. So uh, we, we do, when we get to this time of year, we pull some of our uh, rental units for sales. So we've got a, a pretty good inventory of used travel trailers in particular, which is always kind of a, a rare thing to find. Uh, but if you're looking for a new unit, again, uh, $1,000 discounts on the smaller units and 2500 on the larger ones. So great time to get a, a camper, whether you're looking new or used. And if you want to rent, we've still got availability.
0: So. Tell them how they find you, Ray.
4: We're uh, physically down near Arapahoe Road and Jordan Road. You can find us on the web at adventurecamper.com and by phone, 303-680-3670.
0: All right, my friend, you have a good rest of the weekend.
4: Thanks, Terry. Enjoy it.
0: You bet. Terry from Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Fish Company's Honey Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. We're going to go right back to the phones now because it must be getting close to Halloween because we're going to talk about those icky, disgusting creatures that, that chase us around and want to suck blood from us, have no useful purpose in the world, and that's bats. Is that right, Tina?
2: Hi Terry, that's not right at all. No, we
0: know that. Of course, this is <laughs> Tina Jackson, and you come on once a year, and we do. We got to start seeing if we can do Bat Week when people can go watch them. But yeah, but it kind of gets their interest going. I think Halloween makes them think about it, right?
2: Yeah, it's the time of year where we're all kind of hanging bats in our house, hanging them outside, um, you know, putting them in our offices. But it is a difficult time of year to actually go out and watch the actual creatures. With this beautiful weather we've been having, there is the possibility that there'll still be a few of them flying around. But most of the bats we have here in Colorado spend the winter sleeping in hibernation, or they fly south to party in Central America.
0: Yeah, so they're like the rest of us. You know, know, obviously I was tongue-in-cheek describing bats, but they have important functions, and they're, well, first of all, for the most part they're not going to be dangerous to people they don't do the things and they do have important functions in our ecosystem tell us about the bats
2: yeah they're they're wonderful little creatures first and foremost they're they're not icky or dirty at all they're very clean little animals they're mammals they're the only flying mammal um in the world and here in colorado we have 18 different species and the ones we have here in colorado are all insect eaters so They'll eat everything from mosquitoes up to agricultural pests like moths and and um, worms and things. So um, most of our bats are really good. They're doing wonderful things for us. The bats we see here in the metro area flying around are mostly going to eat the mosquitoes that we don't like. So um, good thing to have them around.
0: Yeah, I love it when I see some bats flying around my yard um, because – because that means the four or five mosquitoes that do come to my patio in the summer aren't going to be there long. And and we'll be sitting in the hot tub and the bats will be flying over. And it's, you know, it's dusk, it's almost dark. It's incredible the way they can maneuver and the senses they have, isn't it?
2: Yes, they're they're amazing creatures. You know, we kind of think of them as as a bird mammal, that, that they're just like birds. They fly, but it's a very different type of flight. And bats are, in fact, much more maneuverable than birds. Um, they, they just have a different way of flying. And then the other cool thing about them, the other really neat thing is that they find their insects using sonar, using an ultrasound pulse that they send out and then they can sense it coming back. Um, and this is something that allows them while flying to catch a mosquito that's flying around. Um, you know, they don't have to land and do that. They catch it and they eat it while they just fly along.
0: Well, and it's fantastic. They are just such an interesting, fun creature. And and they're a big part of the ecosystem. I mean that everything in the system eats something, and something eats it, and it becomes part of nature. Is there danger in bats here in Colorado that people should be aware of? Well, to
2: to people, bats do pose one one significant risk in that they are one of the wildlife species that can carry rabies. So, like with all wildlife species, our recommendation is you don't handle them, you don't come in contact with them. If you're seeing a bat doing something unusual. Report it to someone and let them know, and we'll get it tested. Um, But generally, people aren't going to have a problem with that. The bats here in Colorado are facing some risks of their own, though. And so one of the big ones that we're focusing on is a fungus that started in the eastern U.S., and it's making its way west towards us. And that's something that so far in the east, they've lost probably at least 7 million bats to this fungus.
0: And that's called white-nose disease, is that right?
2: Yep, white-nose syndrome. And it's a fungus that attacks them while they're hibernating in the wintertime. And it's it's a lot like getting um, athlete's foot and having your foot fall off. I mean, it's a very significant kind of skin fungus that actually eats away at parts of their body. And while they're hibernating, that's not something they can respond to very
0: well. Now, have we seen it in Colorado, or has it just been approaching closer?
2: It, we have not detected it in Colorado yet, but it is approaching closer. We've um, This past winter, they found it in the panhandle of Texas, which puts it within about 200 miles of the Colorado border. So one of the big focuses for us this year is, is letting the public know that it's getting closer and just asking them this winter if they see bat activity to give us a holler or drop us an email. We would love to hear about that so we can follow up and see if, if we've got some bats that are starting to... Be impacted.
0: Now, before we let you go, there are really great bat viewing opportunities in Colorado. They just don't happen to be this time of the year. Tell us about that and how spectacular they are.
2: Yeah. So we have, like I said, we have 18 species of bats in the state, and most of our bats are, are not going to spend a lot of time in large groups, but they'll they'll hang out in the summertime in particular in smaller groups. So if you put up a bat house, um, you can actually see a 100 or two fly out of that every night. But if you really want to see amazing stuff, you need to go either down to the San Luis Valley, and there's a site down there called the uh, that's managed by the Orient Land Trust. It's a it's an old abandoned mine, and there's about a quarter of a million bats that hang out in that. And so every night, they come flying out, and it's just this you know half hour long stream of bats flying out of this opening. And then we found a new one recently over in the Grand Junction area. There's a bridge that's being used by another species of free tail bat that um, we don't have good numbers on ahead, but it's a pretty impressive flyout. And what they're doing at that bridge is they drop out, and they actually kind of do this swirling motion before they take off into the sky.
0: That's awesome. Now, you mentioned a bat house. Is that difficult to build, and is there any restrictions or anything on that?
2: Um, it's not difficult to build at all. It's a lot like a bird house. It's just dinner. Um, Bats like to be really cozy. And there's some great resources online. Um, This time of year, the reason we talk is it's Bat Week. And if folks go to batweek.org, there's some great links there on how to build your own bat house. You can also, if you're like me and not very crafty, you can go out and and buy one and hang it up. Um, What bats really want when you're hanging a bat house is they want it very, very warm. Um, I was talking with a researcher yesterday in the colonies that he's tracking they are getting up to about 120 degrees during the day. So you want to put it on the south or the west side of a house, and you want to put it up pretty high.
0: All right. Tina, once again, always, you know, it's so interesting. I love when you come on at this time of the year. And, and so when everybody's hanging up your Halloween bats, you can pretend they're spooky and they're vampires, and they're going to land on you. But the bats in Colorado, they do us a lot of good, and they're fun to watch.
2: They're very friendly creatures. And, and it's still worthwhile in the evening to go out and, you know, with your favorite drink and sit on the patio and see if there's still a couple flying around this time of year.
0: I find it worthwhile to go on my patio with my favorite drink, whether the bats are there or not. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tina, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Carrie. You bet. That's uh, it's Tina Jackson from Parks and Wildlife and she comes on. She's a species conservation coordinator. at once hear and talks about the bats. It's it's not only fun because we're getting close to Halloween, but they are an important part of our ecosystem. And something you should understand is you experience the outdoors and not be afraid of them and enjoy them. Terry Wixom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. Sure. Just about to do this great tackle talk segment, and we got the the eagles on there. You know I'm going to (laughs) listen. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. It's time now for Terry's Tackle Tip of the Week. All right, we are going to give you our Tackle Tip of the Week, and uh, it's it's actually going to be two different baits I'm going to talk about, and I'm going to give you a little... Why I chose these this time of the year, these two baits, before we get into them, as you know, and we'll talk about this more in the hour, I talked this time of the year in the fall about doing a lot of uh, spoon, jigging spoons for walleye, smallmouth bass, crappies, catfish. I mean, it's just a tremendous bite this time of the year. But something else that was going on um, about the spooning, Well, a lot of people were still doing the jigging spoons, which are highly effective, and I still use them. Blade baits came in, and we use those. They have a little different presentation. There was a group of anglers, mostly tournament fishermen, who were taking that same bite, and they were approaching it with what's called glide lures, or um, they're the very heavy minnow lures. Most of you are familiar with what's called a jigging wrap. It's an ice fishing lure, but they were using it in open water. And they were having, even prior to the spoon bite and going right past it, just tremendous success with this pres- presentation this time of the year. By the way, if you want to see some spoon bite action on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, if you scroll down, there's a link to a, a television show that Tom Bruno and I did down on Pueblo where we went and presented the spoon bite. And then I wrote an article in In Fisherman magazine based on that outing, and you get some really good ideas about what spoon jigging is all about. But this takes it to another level. And the two baits I want to talk about that you can use in this same presentation. As word has gotten out, more and more people are are adding not only the spoons and the blade baits, but they're adding what they call the glide-type lures. And there's another new one I'm going to tell you about here in just a minute. So what's happening is uh, the glide-type lures initially, the one I want to talk about is Johnson's Johnny Darter. Now, the Johnny Darter looks a lot like a puppet minnow or a a jigging wrap. The only difference is it doesn't have a front hook and it has two places to put in uh, to tie your line to one right on top, like the typical glide lure, and one on the nose. So you can fish it very easily vertically. And what makes these things so effective when you pop them up fishing them vertically, they spiral down and they swing down and they have a very wounded bait fish look to them. Just triggers that predatory instinct in fish. It's a fantastic way to fish. If you cast them out a little bit, you can pop them up and they spiral down as they come back. Now, the one of the great things about the Johnny Darter is it doesn't have the typical front hook that a lot of the ones that are, were uniquely designed just for ice fishing had because you couldn't fish them horizontally. You had to fish them vertically through a hole in the ice. You can do both with this one. It... Because it doesn't have that front hook, you snag up so much less, and I don't find that you miss any bites. It really still hooks the fish up as a bottom treble and a rear hook. Some people will tip one of those hooks with a little bit of bait or a soft plastic. Most of the time, you don't have to. You just pop it, give it that action, and it will just glide around when you lift it up. Now, the Johnny Darter is available available in, I think, five sizes and 10 colors and it sells for about 399 to 499 so it's not an expensive bait all right i mean and it's heavy one of the reasons it fishes so well it gets down immediately i mean if you pick these up they're a big heavy piece of metal looking like a minnow with some hooks on it so they get down quickly cuz a lot of times in this type of bite the fish are deep and they're holding in deeper water. So you want to get right back down to them, or you get over them. You look for fish on your electronics. And when you find them, you either want to cast to them or get that lure down to them immediately. And then when you give it that rip up, it kind of gets your attention, just like a jigging spoon does. When you rip it up, it kind of gives some flutter. And then when you let it down, they, they kind of glide, and, and they look like a dying minnow, and it is just so effective. In fact, the... Um, State record blue catfish that uh, Charlie Black caught last year came on a very similar... I don't know which type of lure he was using, but it was a a, a, a glide-type lure. And he was down there walleye fishing and caught a 25- or 30-some-inch catfish. Catfish will eat them, crappies. I don't get a lot of largemouth, but you can. They'll, if you get in the right areas, they will bite them. We'll get quite a few smallmouth catfish, but the walleyes are fantastic. Trout will bite this, too. You know, we use we used jigging spoons. In fact, I was up with Bernie Keefe just, uh, just a few weeks ago, and we were using jigging spoons to catch lake trout that hadn't quite moved up to their spawning grounds down at about 60 feet of water. I'm quite sure that these lures would have worked extremely well in that presentation, too. Could have got them down. We were fishing 60 feet of water and fished them very aggressively and got good hookups because you're... You're actually setting the hook when you go to lift it again, so you're not actually waiting necessarily to feel the bite. So it's kind of a self-hook setting a feature. It was kind of a well-kept secret to fish with these kind of lures for quite some time. But over the last few years, the word has leaked out, and they've become very, very popular, and they've been very successful on the lakes right here in Colorado. Now another lure that's made to go after this same type of bite is the Snap Jig from Berkley. The snap jig from Berkley, unlike the um, Johnny Darter, which is kind of a uh, like I said, it's a heavy piece of metal. It's a glide lure. The uh, the snap jig from Berkley is a it's a lead headed jig that has a little bill on the front of it and turns it into a glide type bait, and it has a hook that angles up at about forty five degrees. Best way is you know Google both of these, the Johnny Darter and the Snap Jig. And you'll see what I mean. It's a Berkeley snap jig and the Johnson Donnie jarter. But that snap jig, now you put a piece of power bait or gulp on it, soft bait. Typically, I would use a minnow bait on it. But depending on where you're fishing and what, you could use a plastic, small plastic worms. You could use curly tails. You could use a number of different presentations. But it's made to fish very much like the Johnny Darter, only it's a lighter bait. It's heavy enough to get you down fairly quickly, and there are a number of sizes and colors available. In fact, there's, I think, three sizes and eight colors. Now, when I'm using a jig like this, I try to stay with basics like blacks and whites for color. If I want to add some pizzazz, I put on a colored soft bait. So I would probably fish this with a black or white head, and then I would have a power minnow or a gulp minnow on it, and that... It's going to give you that same action when you cast it out and pop it up. It's going to give you a very erratic, dying bait fish action. And then when you fish it uh, vertically right below the boat, you can pop it up and it'll spiral down again in that same action. The other advantage of the um, snap jig is I can make longer casts with it, not have to worry so much about hanging up because of the hooks and the weight. And I can horizontally fish it and fish it almost like a jerk bait or something down deep in the water column and really go after those fish that I'm targeting when they're when they're after these shad. What happens is the bait fish this time of the year is just water cools, get very stressed, and when they're stressed like that, they tend to uh they tend to they tend to school together, and the stressed ones will start to die or get weak. And they're just easy pickings for predator fish, and you'll find them just gathered on those fish. So electronics are important. So that's my tackle talk for today. The Johnny Darter from uh, Berk, uh from the Johnny Darter from Johnson and the Snap Jig from Berkeley. I think they're lures you need to add to your repertoire, especially for this fall fishing. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter.